I'm Arya Clapper, and this title is called Shares Cold. Uh, should Moshe have looked away? Literary and theological reflections on Sneot Covenant Spiritual Risk, which probably gives away that I have to make the title up a long time before I had to compose the Shear, so I covered everything conceivable that I could, uh, that I could, that I could fit in. Um, whole conversation about my wife, whether the topic would give an impression that would be too controversial, or there was like, you know, everyone's going to jump on you if you try to define Sneot. I thought it was worth the risk. Yeah. Um, so, How much more trouble can you get into? Yeah, well, you know, according to the other topic was biblical, it was biblical criticism. I was there in the other. That's even. It was yeah, this, this crowd is uh, pretty tall. Uh, Remember how all you need is one? Okay, but what I want to say up front is that I don't uh, intend to give a full-length coherent lecture. What I want to do is point out um, certain things about certain texts in Chumash and certain things about the way that the rabbis read certain aspects of Chumash and then engage in the effort of trying to understand certain things in Tanakh the way I think the rabbis understood them. Okay, so we're engaged in an enterprise of rabbinic reading. Um, I tend to think the rabbinic reading is a very good reading and that therefore rabbinic reading has a lot to do with what is otherwise known as pshat and that often the best way to get to Pshat is to read really seriously like the rabbis. But I want to do it by um, trying to get us to think about texts first and then to sort of jump in, oh my goodness, what did the rabbis say something that somehow seems related to this text? Let's see if we can figure it out together. And then even more dangerously, while we're doing Tanakh and rabbinic literature, I also want to think about philosophy. Um, and I want to think about philosophy in two contexts. We might call practical philosophy, which is the what the category of tzniyut means, um, and to some degree possibly with halakhic implications. And then secondly, um, I want to talk about the category of kavod. It's a philosophic category. What does it mean for human beings to have kavod? And how do the categories of kavod and tzniyut interrelate? Okay? That's a very ambitious, um, ambitious agenda for a very diffuse year. We're going to start off by just looking, looking at tonight. So if you look at page one, so you'll see that I gave you, I'll start with Shemot Paragimel. And if you look at Shemot Paragimel, right, I, I bolded and underlined a certain set of words. And the purpose of them is to show you that there is um, what's conventionally called right, a milah mancha, or, right, or, or um, right, a, a word that seems to dominate this particular section of Tanakh. Okay? Now you can decide whether you like Ro'er, Ro'er puns or not. Right? Ro'er with an ayin, Ro'er with an aleph. Uh, right, that's up to you how, right, how seriously you take those. We start with Moshe Hayaroeh. Okay, Moshe is a shepherd. And what is this shepherd? What happens to this shepherd? So he does all the things that shepherds do. And then, Okay, that's our first, our first use of the verb to see. Right, an angel, an angel, an angel appears to him. Right, an angel becomes visible to him. Vayar, right, so the angel becomes visible to Moshe. And then Moshe sees, and he sees this amazing thing that there's a, a bush that's burning in the fire and not being, and not being consumed. Moshe and Moshe, now he speaks. But what does he say when he speaks? Asura na I will go aside and I will see. Et tamare, this vision. Hagadola, right? So, that's, so, so, so far in, the, in these first three psukim, we've had the verb for see four times plus a pun. Ro'eh. Okay? And then... God sees, but Yar Hashem, Kisarli wrote. God sees that he has turned to see. Okay. 
Then, after after um, God tells him, after God sees that he has turned that he has turned to see, God tells him, "Stay away, stay away, don't come too close. Take off your shoes, whatever that whatever that means." God identifies himself as and then by Esther Moshe Panav, Moshe hides his face, ki well, so they have to decide how seriously you take that fun. Right? So we always have funds between um, right, Riyah and, and Yirah, between seeing and between seeing and fearing. So the climax of all this of this Riyah of seeing is that Moshe is Yareh, Mehabit. Doesn't say right, doesn't say milirot. It shifts the verb here. They have a second verb for seeing. Right, so you have three different right, three three different reish aleph sounds. Right, one of which describes Moshe overall as a shepherd. Then we have the continual repetition of seeing. And at the end, that turns into fear, which is fear of seeing. Right, and then God says to him, "Oh look, ra'oraiti." Right, I have surely seen. At the end, he Okay, so minimally. What we establish here is that there is something important about the visual component of the, or the opening of Moshe relationship, Moshe relationship to God. It's all about seeing. And why? So let's throw it out. Right? Why does it matter in the very beginning of, of Moshe's relationship with God? Why do we have this continual, assuming you're convinced by the evidence, Right, there's a continual evidence that the relationship between Moshe and God is defined by vision. God, God makes himself visible. Moshe sees. God sees that Moshe sees. It becomes concrete. Becomes concrete. You think the visual is concrete. So why would it matter? Like, why, why, would we want God, why would we want God to be concrete to Moshe? Because, he, because, because God is calling Moshe. Yeah. So calling, so calling is already the sound, right? But I think it's con- I think it's concrete when he sees, and that he sees that he sees. It's like I can close my eyes and listen to you, but I get a clearer. Okay. Okay. Let's let's take that as you know, dangerous, right? Because it gives you right false impressions of concreteness, perhaps. Yes. Um, he came from a society where gods were seen. Uh huh. Maybe, maybe now that he has to, in order to accept. A God that you can't see, he did have to have some kind of a vision of seeing. So this is a step you have to pass through. Yeah. Uh-huh. What do you want to tell me? That's an introduction to Sorry. the later system. Yeah. Oh, good. So we'll get there, right? That's right. Thank you very much. We're going to jump ahead. right? But I don't want to get there yet. Right? Absolutely right. Yes, Abby. I think the vision suggests knowledge. Yeah. You reveal yourself. <laughs> you're revealing the other person that you're looking at. You uh-huh. Who are at least connected. Uh-huh. Okay, good. I think that's probably more we're going to end up. Yes? Well, I'm going to you. It's a very personal connection. Uh-huh. You're going to look at someone correctly. And they see, you know, this connection, a mutual connection, I would say. Uh-huh. If you see each other. Yeah. If you see each other. But Moshe is afraid. But that's afterwards. He's not in the beginning. Okay, good. That's Wait, right. So we can talk about many more, right, much more complicated movements. Yeah.
the uh, that go on here. Really, really, what happens is that God sets up a um, a visual a visual snare for Moshe. Um, there's an angel, right, who appears. It's not clear that Moshe realizes it's an angel, right? So it's not right. So Moshe's first sight may not be an accurate sight, because it says that an angel of God appeared to him. But what is Moshe see? Moshe sees a right sees a bush burning. He doesn't see any, he doesn't see an angel at all. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But actually, it's possible that the seeing is actually uh, it's kind of a there's a mystical maybe you're seeing maybe you're not seeing because I think maybe it's a prelude to Mamad Har Sinai in the Revelation. But even that is undermined by Tumalayim Chem Roim Zulatikol. Sure. So we have to deal with all right. How much? So, is, is seeing really seeing? I think there's like a kind of a mystical um, element to this that. You know, that has to do with the idea of seeing God in the first place. Yeah, so that's fair, right? Can, can you really, can you really see, right? Maybe seeing is always an illusion. Yeah. Uh, right? Maybe seeing, maybe seeing is all an illusion. So God sets this up in which an angel appears to Moshe. Moshe doesn't realize it's an angel. Now here's the challenging thing. What Moshe sees, if it's really supposed to be concrete, so you would think, right, that seeing leads to understanding. But what does Moshe see? He sees something he can't understand. Right, he's, right, and he's attracted by the mystery. So here, right, there's something really, there's something really profoundly personal going on. Some people would be afraid at the start when they saw something incomprehensible. Right, Moshe is Moshe, right? Moshe, right? So Moshe is somebody who is right, who can be attracted visually, and one of his primary characteristics is curiosity. Right, so that his reaction to seeing something that he doesn't understand is to move towards it, not away. At the moment that God sees that he has been attracted, so God really tells him, stop. Right, so this is, all, this is all a very complicated psychological setup in which Moshe is supposed to be attracted, but the point, but at the moment that he's attracted, God has to tell him to stop in, right, to stop in his tracks. Now, this is, yes... No, this is not just an interesting natural phenomenon. You're entering into a whole new phase, a whole new sphere. But Moshe could, but that's true. But Moshe could have just, if God had wanted to, Moshe could have just walked across, like this poor jogger who got arrested for two weeks for crossing the U.S.-Canadian border, without noticing, right? So Moshe could have just walked across, and a voice could have come out from nowhere saying, Stop! This is holy land! Take off your shoes! No, but God has to attract him to cross the border and then tell him. Right, this is like Taylor made from a Soloveitchik, right? You know, the, that there's a move, right? That there's always a movement towards God and the repulsion and the moment that the attract so those of you who haven't read Rabbi Soloveitchik, this is a good time to read it, right? Rabbi Soloveitchik's vision of religion is all about constantly, the, you're always attracted to God and the moment, and as you grow up closer to God, you realize the gap and you get repulsed again. So there's always this Ratsovashov movement. Okay, but here we have it, you know, without moving into philosophy yet, we just have it as a pure psychological thing, that God wishes to attract Moshe across this boundary, whatever makes the boundary holy, right? There doesn't seem to be anything special about this land at all, except that God arbitrarily decides to draw a line, to draw a line here. Moshe, sh- Moshe, Moshe shows up, and then we have that moment. Moshe hides his face because he is afraid of being mabit towards God. So that's the moment when he realizes that it's God. Right, as long as the as long as the mystery was not religious, Moshe moves towards it. 
But the moment the mystery becomes religious, then Moshe becomes afraid to look. So the question is, is that the right thing or the wrong thing? Are we supposed to say, look, Moshe's whole virtue is curiosity. So why should his right? So why should his curiosity all of a sudden be turned off? By right, this should be the greatest mystery. He should move towards it. So we can say that this is a blameworthy thing by Moshe, that somehow his fear of religion is greater than his is greater than his curiosity. But no one else would even have come this close. Okay. Yes, you do. Uh, too confusing, but you're the person who is attracted by mystery. Like a completely not related example, but just the same phenomenon. Like if I see something on the road and I'm worried that it's like an animal, like a roadkill kind of thing, like I'm gonna avert my eyes. I don't want to look too closely at it because I'm like I feel so bad about it. You know what I mean? Like it's totally unrelated, but it's that concept that like, you don't always want to know. That's true, but the thing, but interesting, Moshe generally does want to know. It's only when he finds out it's God, right? That's why it's, it's, right, if you're the kind of person who's afraid of novelty. Right, who, right, from everything new scares, then, right, right, the thing is that Moshe is only scared. But until the moment that he finds out it's God, he's going that way. So, it's, right, so something about God scares him. Okay, but like, again, like, in other words, at some point it, it becomes scary because so there's like another dimension. You know? Okay, I mean, so... It's, it's not just a burning bush. Now it's like a burning bush with God, whatever that means. And he's like... But like, at some point, if, if someone has like an innate recoil response, like, like I don't know if it's... Like, okay, but then, so then the first thing Moshe should do is hide his face and then look. Yeah. Okay, right. Or peak, right? Or peak. Yeah, like, peak right. Like, yes, David and Friedman. God later says, well, you're on Ehad on Bechai, it seems to indicate that he's telling Moshe, you made the right decision earlier because you would have died if you So we'll see. That's the Machlokas in Chazal. No, but in the Pasuk itself, it says God first tells him, I'll take care of Halom. God is already telling him, be, be careful. This is dangerous territory. That's true. It's kind of reminds me of Nadav and Aviyuhu. In advance, yes, Phil. An interesting thing just occurred to me that you're talking about curiosity as a positive thing. Yeah. And then why does he hold back? And yet, with Adam and Eve, there was curiosity and it was positive until it wasn't. Uh huh. Good. They were supposed to draw back, they didn't draw back. Look at that. And we're going to get pretty soon. is reluctant. Maybe that's an appropriate reaction. And that's going to bring us to, once we get to Adam and Eve, we start thinking about Sneud. Uh-huh. Aha. Right? <laughs> very right. right? That's, that's very right. right. So the connection is already, already being made. But I'll just point out that God tells Moshe to keep his distance physically, but tells him nothing about looking away. Right? God, tells Moshe to, right? God tells Moshe to stay away physically, to take off your shoes, whatever that means. And Moshe looks away. No, God never said anything of the sort. God but never. It kind of goes together. Don't get too close. One way we avert our gaze is. So why doesn't God tell him? Moshe's own intuition. He doesn't need to tell him that because Moshe will look away anyway. Uh, even though Moshe looks directly at a malach, he just doesn't know it. Uh huh. Okay. So let's go on. So now we're going to go to Lamed Gimel. Okay. Here we go. This thing which you spoke, I will do. Right, a whole separate share is why when when you right is how communication happens in speech, and yet right the important things all happen visually. 
Mm-hmm. All right, how that plays out with Moshe's hand. And whether this ties into Moshe being Chvad Peh, Chvad Lashon from the very beginning, and that's why God communicates with him visually, that Moshe naturally is a visual as opposed to, as opposed to an audio person. But God, sorry, God says to him, this, right, this, this davar which you debarta, I will do, ki matzata chen be'enai, because you have found favor in my eyes. Got to decide how, how, how seriously we take those eyes. Are they, right, does that mean that God has seen Moshe? Or is it just, that's just the idiom for finding favor in people? And then Moshe presumably says to God, although the speaker is as always um, ambiguous in um, Biblical Hebrew, Har'eni na et kivodecha. It's a, right, so after God says, you have found favor in my eyes, Moshe says to God, I want you to show me my kavod, your kavod. Okay, it's an interesting thing to ask. What does it mean to show kavod? Show me your glory. Pardon? There's a whole chapter that says, I am, yes, there's a whole chapter that says, there's, there's other, lots of other things, but let's suppose it wasn't talking about God. Right? So somebody walks up to you and says, show me your kavod. What does that mean? So what am I supposed to do? Right? Display my masculine you know, virtues and sword and things like that? What does it mean to show kavod? Well, kavod, I think it is the word kavod. What's your weight? What's your real value? Your gravity, a stand on a scale? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Your value, I would say. What Tell me your value. Or worth, or whatever. Right, that's a pretty... Your essence, what's really... So essence is a little different than value, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Right, value is a really... For a you know, promotion to say to God, show me your value, that would be a pretty... <laughs> a pretty stark <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> Maybe? Maybe he's going that... Right? Show me your essence... I'm not, sure what that, uh, I'm not sure what essence means. That's a healthy, you know, that's a, it's a complicated word, essence. He's asking for God to demystify himself. Aha. Right, so I want to see everything. Right, how does that relate to kavod? Do you have kavod if somebody knows, sees everything about you? This is not human. Ah, it's not human kavod. So that already not gvuratecha, right? There are lots of words we could use. Why kavod? Well, importance, maybe. Yeah. Could be translated honor, wealth, or distinction. Yeah. So what does God? What does it mean when you ask God for His honor, wealth, or distinction? Okay, good. Right. Let's write these. It's a. It's a really interesting thing. Say right. If you look at the rest of Tanakh, it usually means show me your royal treasures. I want to figure out why, what royal treasures mean, and some of you already have a pusik in the back of your mind, which will connect all the themes of this uh, the, uh, themes of this year. Okay, so God says, "Ani avir kol tuvi al panecha, v'karati b'shem yud kevav kelefanecha, v'chanoti et asherachon v'richanti et asher arachem." This um, apparently is in some ways supposed to be responsive. Doesn't use right. Not all clear what it is. Right. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Uh, you get tuv, a name. Okay. Um, so there we have one of my favorite moments, which I learned from Mr. Moshe Bernstein, which is the, what, what happens when, in Chumash when you have it, the same speaker. Right? It speaks for several verses, and in between it says Vayomer each time. Why isn't it one consistent speech? So about this case, specifically, Professor Bernstein um, said, to, said that um, you have to imagine the other speaker going standing there like this. 
Now God says to Moshe, "Ani avir kol to vil panecha v'karasi v'shem Hashem al panecha v'chanosi et Hashem rachon v'richamti et Hashem rachem." Moshe says. So God says, "Lot v'chala rotin panai kol yirani adam v'chai." And Moshe says. So God says. Um, that was as far as Mr. Bernstein went I wanted to suggest that actually it goes one step further that even after that one Moshe just stands there like this and then God says right, in which case we have four stages we have three or four stages of answers to the question right, the first is an attempt to answer by means of various attributes, various kinds of descriptions. Moshe is dissatisfied with these things. He says, what I want is your face. Yeah. Implicitly. Right? What, I, what I meant by kavod was panim. Doesn't he say that on Arsinai also? This is on Arsinai. Well, this is it. This is This is it. This is This is not the snake. No, no. This is this is the Lama Gimel. This is this is Lama Gimel. Now we're in Kisisa, right? So right. So he's, he's right. So Moshe, so Moshe implicitly says, "What I meant by kavod was your face," and God says, "You can't see my face, because right? Because no being can see my face and live. Whatever that means." Can if you ever do the Tzamanafshi, uh, the Tzamanafshi uh, poem by Ibn Ezra on Friday night, you'll discover that it's a problem because you're supposed to learn the thing which lets you see God. But you also think... Right, there, there, are paradox, there are paradoxes in there. Um, uh, paradoxes um, in there as well. But okay, right, so God says you can't see... Right, you can't see my face and... Or the human being cannot see my face and live. And then God says, but there's a place with me and you're going to stand on the sewer... And when my kavod, which is now something which just passes by, right, my kavod can pass by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, um, right, and then um, you'll see my back, right, I'll put my hand over your two hands, and you'll see my back, v'ra'itat acharai ufanai lo yeira'u, but you'll never, you'll never get to see my face. Okay, and then God says to Moshe, make these luchot, and then you can come to me in Harsinai and do all those things I just told you, right? He, he says, just like I just told you, if you read this as consecutively. And guess what? No one else can be seen on this mountain. And if you like the first one, right? So there can't be anyone else, there can't be anyone else who is seen and there can't be anyone else who is, who, right, who is Ro'eh on this mountain except you. You have to decide whether Moshe is still in Adam at this point or not. Right, there are two ways to resolve the problem Adam One is you can't see me, and the other is you're not in Adam. So one of the rabbinic readings is that Moshe becomes a Malach at this point. Uh, right, really, you know, radical readings to the Meshach um, Hachman suggests that, God, that Moshe loses his free will. Uh, all, sorts, right, all, sorts, all sorts of astonishing things. Let's assume that we're not going to go that far yet. Okay. So there is a point at which Moshe asks to see everything. And that request is at least initially denied. And we don't know in the end whether, it, right, whether, God, says, whether God says no finally or not. Depends on, right, if you read it, it stops at the third one, so then God says, right, you, you, uh, absolutely not, you can only see my back, but you can't see my face. If you read, if you read the fourth way, then the Luchot, in, the Luchot are actually the revelation of the kavod, whether that's the same thing as the panim or not, we don't know. Okay, 
So now, to try and disambiguate that, we move to Bamidbar. Right, so Bamidbar you'd bet. We say that, right, that God comes down, Okay, now, at this point, I'm going to completely break down any attempt to parse it. I broke it down into many different lines so you could figure out yourself how, the, right, how these lines work. I'm only interested in, in language. Shimuna Divarai, right, so he says to Aaron and, Aaron and Miriam, listen to my words. Right, so other prophets are spoken to in a mar'eh. But Moshe is not like that. Okay, so here we have hopeless contradiction because we said the other Nevi'im of mar'eh levet vada. And now it says Moshe is mar'eh v'loh b'chidot. Okay. Does that solve it? Yeah, okay. Okay. If it works, it's you, fine. Right, what matters to me right now is, Utmunat Hashem Yabit. Moshe does get to be Mabit now, right? Before he was Yarei Mehabit. Now we discover that Moshe all along has been Mabit. Mabit at Tmuna. So you have to decide whether Mabit in a Tmuna is the same thing as being Mabit directly towards Hashem or not. And then, by the way, just in case you're, if you like those kind of word plays, Madu'alo Yiretem. Right, you guys, right, you guys right, are attacking Moshe, who was the only person who was really Roya, you should have been Yare, right, from attacking the only person, the only person who is, um, is Roya. Okay, so first of all, Pel, Pel, Berbo, right, where did that, Pel, it's hard to speak mouth to mouth without having your faces visible to each other. Your eyes could be closed. Okay, interesting thing. Uh, Okay? Eyes wide shut. <laughs> uh, and um, and Moshe, Moshe looks at the Tumunat Hashem, so you have to figure out how that relates to the array or not. Okay, so now I have a couple other psukim. We'll turn the page now to page two of a couple other psukim we want to bring into this. So we have, Vidiber Hashem al Moshe Panim el Panim. Also says that God spoke to Moshe face to face, not just Pedopet. But face to face, how does that fit with Lotuchali Rotet Panai? So again, we could speak face to face, but with our eyes closed. Like people, like people speak to their fellows casually. So it seems. Then the shavu lemachne, and then we have a contrast. So God speaks to Moshe panim el panim, and then Moshe comes back to the machne. Presumably, it's Moshe who's shavu lemachne. While Yeshua ben Nunar never left the Ohel. Okay, so where is God speaking to Moshe? Right on the mountain? Okay, somewhere outside the Ohel. Yeshua never leaves the Ohel. You all know that vision. You all know who Yeshua is now, right? What biblical character does right? What biblical character is in the Ohel? Sarah. Okay, right? Moshe goes out. And Yeshua stays, Yeshua stays in the in the Oli, right? Yaakov also. Okay. I did better because it said Yeshua benun malei ruach chachma ki samach Moshe yadav alav vayishmu elav bnei Yisrael vayasu kasher tzivah shem and Moshe v'lo kam navi od b'Yisrael ki Moshe asheri do Hashem panim mel panim. Yeshua is great. Everything's great about Yeshua, but he's never going to be Moshe. Bnei Yisrael listened to him, listened to him, exactly as if he were Moshe. But each time we talk about panim el panim, there's a contrast to Yeshua, 
And Yeshua is the one who is right, who is always in the Oel. Okay, one more pasuk. And I blew that, so we, it's probably all Seamus. Um, so here's what Shemot Rabbah here's what Shemot Rabba says uh, says about this. Kichaloto, Amarashim ben Lakish, Ma Kalazu, just like this bride. Kol yamim shi bevet aviha, matznad atzma ben adam makira. So a bride, so long as she is remains in her father's house, she hides herself, she secretes herself, and nobody knows who she is. Okay, very good. Now what happens at the wedding? When she comes to enter her chuppah, she reveals her face. By which she means to say, anybody, right, if anybody claims they've ever seen me outside, so I'm going to reveal my face that you can, so now everybody can know whether they have ever seen me before. Right? It's a fascinating, the, the, you're supposed to reveal yourself in order to prove that you're a stranger. Right, if anybody recognizes you when you reveal your face, that means you revealed yourself previously. Right? So you have to reveal yourself in such a way that also implies that you would never have gone out wearing a veil. Which is kind of odd socially because, right, because presumably we talk about a society where women always wear veils outside. So how would you know? Uh, right? It's a really weird notion. Right? You have to figure out like, what is the sociological reality in which we say that it's at the moment of the chuppah that you're supposed to give up snoot. Because it's the only way to prove that you've been Sanu all along. And then what do you do afterwards? Now everybody's seen your face. Okay, so this is a really cool image. Really, really cool. I don't want to talk about it. Marish Lakish offers it as a reading of this pasuk. Vayitain el Moshe kechalato. God gave the luchot to Moshe. Kechalato. So now, first of all, who is the bride? Who, right, who is the bride? Who, first of all, who is the bride? And secondly, what is the meaning of it being the bride? So one possibility is, God gave the luchot to Moshe, who was like his bride. But that's a little odd, because... Moshe doing anything revelatory here? The Luchot or the Revelation? No, he's taking them to the people of Israel. Moshe is taking them to the people of Israel. So Moshe is the Kala of the people of Israel and they're the groom? No. He's the Masada Kedusha. Pardon? Israel is the Kala, Israel is the bride. So now, in this Pesuk, right? Rachel Akish says, Vayitain el Moshe kechalato. So the only right, really grammatically in the verse it's gotta be God or Moshe. One way of reading it is right is that Torah is God's face. And this is the moment when God is the Kalah. And God says, right, so I'm right, Mishlakir says, right, what God is doing now at the moment of the Chupah, which is Har Sinai, right, God is showing himself to Bnei Israel in a way which demonstrates to them that he has not revealed himself to anybody else previously. Got a better reading of Rish Lakish? Okay. Maybe you buy this. Maybe you don't, right? I'm just trying to read. I'm just trying to read this the way Rish Lakish read it. 
I have biases because I like reading the four psukim consecutively, so I like reading the luchot, even though those are the second luchot. I like reading the luchot as a revelation, as a revelation, revelation of God's face. So I have one more midrash, and this is really, you know, if you if we understand this midrash, then there's nothing else to do in the shir. Okay, so here we go. Uh, but I don't understand it at all, so there's work to do in the shir. Here we go. Bavid bar Rabba, midrash says the following: Bavid bar Hashem al Moshe b'mid bar Sinai, ad shlo amad b'holmoed diberi mel b'sneh. So here we are, the opening part, pasuk of Sefer Bamidbar. God spoke to Moshe, Bamidbar Sinai, Be'ol Moed. Okay, why do we have all these descriptions of where he is? So, until the Ol Moed was standing, so then God spoke to Moshe at the Sneh. So it says God talked to him from the Sneh. Good. Then he spoke to, to Moshe and Aaron Eretz Yisrael. You know what? He even spoke to Moshe in Midian. And he spoke to Beth Sinai. We have so about that. The Kevan Shamat Olmoed. But once the Olmoed was built, Amar, God says, Yafehu Hatzniut. Sniut is a really good thing. What does God want? God wants you to walk in Sniut with him. So God says, no more. No more. I'm only going to talk to you in Olamoid. Yafehu Hatzniut. So, before Tzniut wasn't good? The moment in history, right until that time, everyone was supposed to be exhibitionists? And all of a sudden we have this revelatory moment that we're supposed to be Tzniut. Wasn't available. So until that time, right, God unfortunately was forced to display himself to the world. Right, so it was this really bad thing. You know what we call this really bad thing? Mamad Har Sinai. Right, that's when God reveals Himself to the whole people. That's really, really bad. Violation of Zvius should never have happened. We should have built. We should have built the whole way. It should have been just God and Moshe there. Right, it's really what all was supposed to be happening. No one else was supposed to see anything. Poor Kuzari. But, right, but unfortunately, there wasn't yet a privacy. They hadn't thought of the Bechitza yet. <laughs> and so God and Moshe had to have the relationship in front of everybody but now Baruch Hashem we built the Mishkan and it's all no more of that that doesn't seem so likely well you know yeah. have, uh, I'm thinking you know Mama Harsinai people got frightened just like Moses became frightened and, they, and was afraid to look yeah. so everybody else took, was this. So it wasn't really a violation of so, Sneut there. Yeah, so there was just, it was God and Moshe, because they were afraid. Aha. Uh-huh. So, really, so really it wasn't, right? Really it wasn't, it wasn't so unsanua because they were all looking away. Yes, sir? It's similar to Mishlakish's example. Yeah. The wedding ceremony is celebratory. It's not really Sneut. And it's perhaps like Mahasimai. So we can read a uh, we can read it as a conse- consecutive thing. There's Theod in the Father's house. Then there's that moment of revelation at right at revelation at the wedding. And then you go back to Sneut. right? So we can write. So that's one way of reading it as a as a fully as a fully consistent um, consistent thing. Okay. So now we go. Um, so 
Okay, so now we have a connection between Moshe, Sliut, and Kavod. Right, so God's, right, Moshe says to God, And it turns out that Kavod is something which is always Panima. Now there is a lot of ambiguity, which I, I decided to avoid the distraction in this shir. I was trying to figure out what Kol Kavod about Melech Panima means just as a Pasuk in, as a Pasuk in Tanakh. Does it mean, for example, the way that becomes very popular eventually, that it means that all the kavod of the bat melech is for her to be within? Or it could be, guess what? All the treasures of the queen, are in, right, of, the, of, the, of the princess, are inside. Right? Because you lock, the, right? because you lock, your, you lock the, the crown jewels in. But what I'm interested in right now is just the term, the term kavod being used here. Okay, and then we have another midrashic, and it says, "Mimishpitzo sahav levusha." So, "Mimishpitzo sahav levusha" always has the right, the "me" can always mean that her clothes are among those that are "mishpitzo sahav," or it could be her clothes are even greater than the one is right. The kavod of her, the kavod of the bat melech pinima is even greater than the one who is "mishpitzo sahav levusha," than the one who is wearing who's wearing gold clothes outside. Okay, so let's play out. Who, wait, what, is, what does the pasuk mean in this in this midrash? Okay, With, um, bat melech. So who is the bat melech? Zem Moshe. Okay, we have a series of proofs that the bat melech, who's right, the kol kuda bat melech prima, refers to Moshe Rabbeinu, and who is the mishpitzot zahav levusha? Of course, that's Aaron, because the kohen gadol, where the kohen gadol wears the. Right, where's the, where's the garments Darmish Darmish to have? So what is it that makes Moshe the one who has the right the one who is the model of Kol Kvudat Bat Melech? Well presumably it's connected back to Yafehuat's news. Right? Moshe is the one who has the relationship with God that is conducted in Sliut now. Right? And what happens with the construction of the Olmoid is that Aaron takes on the public relationship with God, and he wears all he wears the ball gown, right? And Moshe, right, whereas Moshe Rabbeinu becomes the one with the relationship, which is uh, which is internal. Okay, now Mikan Amru, on the basis of this, Chazal, right, Chazal say, we said Ishash he matznat atzma, so a woman who is tzanua. Even if she is right, even if she is not a kohen, she becomes marriageable to kohen. And she becomes the mother of high priests. Okay, so now which way do we read Does that mean that if she becomes like Moshe, she ends up like Aaron? That doesn't work so well. On the other hand, how can she be greater than Aaron if she, all she does is end up being the mother of Aaron? So it's not clear how consistently the Midrash can be read. Right, and then after this long excursus, the Midrash goes back and says, So God says explicitly, this is my kavod. My kavod is that I, I will speak only from inside of Almoed. Okay, so I want to throw in one other thing to, in case you're not confused enough. There's a really, right, that there is a pasuk um, in Mishle which says, Kavod elokim haster davar so the honor of God is when things are hidden, but the honor of kings is when things are displayed. Now, how that fits, but I suppose the honor of daughters of kings, 
which is apparently which is apparently what everything is inside. Now, despite right, so we have a problem with the analogy between human beings and God because we have a verse that draws an explicit contrast between human beings and God, and then at the core of it we have a pasuk which says, im elokecha," which the Gemara seems to correctly mean. I think, think draws an analogy between human and divine sniut, which actually this midrash does in terms of, right, in terms of um, of God and women. Okay, um, let's try and add a little bit, and then maybe disambiguate. This um, is one thing. I was supposed to start. We're still on page three. My fault. Okay, then I'm going to try and add in one other rabbinic thing. I'm going to try and make one point about that rabbinic thing which may not be obvious, and then I'm going to throw us back into how the rabbis read the initial, the initial, um, the initial question about whether Moshe should look away or not, and then I'll leave you to construct your own, uh, right, your, own, your own conceptions of how all this fits together. So let's start with the Gemara. The Gemara Nida says the following. Um, actually, no, I'm, I'm skipping ahead, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I should, I should be up to Vayikra Rabbam, right? Did I even get there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm reading. We, we did, yeah, we did a Kolo Kim Aster Devar. Um, yeah, let's, let's turn to page three, my fault. So let's turn to page three, and let's, we'll skip to the second, to the second source on, on, um, on that page, which is in Vayikra Rabba. So there's a, right, there's a story, right, remember we read generically in the last Midrash that women who are Tsanua will end up having sons who are high priests, who are high priests. Okay, so here the Vayikra Rabbah says the following. There's a story with Shimon ben, with, about Shimon ben Kimchit, which is odd because Kimchit sounds like a woman's name. Since when do we describe people by their mother's, by their mother's name? But here we are, Shimon ben Kimchit. Yeah, there are, there are occasions, whether, although, could be. She gets all the Bere Melech we'll see, right, this is his mother, right, who speaks with, with, some, uh, with some Arab prince, and the prince, the prince gets alive on him, and so he becomes Tamei, and therefore he, he right, it's, it's Yom Kippur, so he has to leave the Kuna Gedola, and his brother comes in, and they say, look, his brother, for the same mother, Kimchit now has two sons who are Kohen Gedola on the same day. That's awesome. This Kimchit must be the most awesome woman in the world. So they, right, so they say, Omru, they said, Zayim Banim Kimchit, that Kimchit had seven sons, V'chulam Shimshu B'Kuna Gedola, and they all, Served in the they all served as Kohen Gadol. Okay, now that might be that you know if you have if you're a dark and cynical mode in your mind, you know the way, easiest way to become Kohen Gadol is if your brother dies, um, right? So having seven sons becoming Kohen Gadol, unless they all happen, you know, but maybe sequentially they all get spat on by a Gentile by Gentile kings on Yom Kippur. Who knows? Um, okay. Pardon? They have a dog. Oh, they have a zav. Yeah, yeah. There are other ways they could become tamei. It's just like to have seven sons, right? So six sons have to somehow become invalid at some point, uh, at some point or another, when they're necessary. Okay, fine. She's a winner. Sholchuachara. They ask her. Amrullah. They say, "Ma masim tovim yesh biyadcha." Why? What great virtues do you have that all seven of your sons have become kohen gadol? So Amrullah, she says to them, "May olam l'ru korot beti sarot roshi v'imrot chalukai." The right the wall the um, the walls of my house. Sorry, the, the beams of my house. Yeah, the beams of my house have never seen right, have never seen my hair or the uh, or the seams of my cloak. Super seams. Super seams. Wait. 
Wait, you gotta wait. That's why it's a very dangerous title. Gotta get. Gotta wait till the next Macor. Okay. So that's right. So super is what gets this, and they tell her right. Yeah, all your you know your kimchit right. So you are a super fine flower. All your flower is fine, and they and they quote the same pasuk kol kudabat melech prima. Yes. Like Gemara Yuma, next thing, thank you, right? Gemara Yuma says, tells the exact same story. The Chachamim say, What have you done that or this? And she says that the, right, that the, um, the, wall, the, the beams of my house have never seen the weave of my hair. Amrullah, they said, Lots of women have tried that, it didn't work. Because <laughs> you can't have more than one woman have seven sons. Yeah, how many, unless we have a daily coin goals going out. Right, so this is not a... This is not a... Well, so we'll get there. Excellent, right? So just to put this in context, so in the Gemara, the Gemara in um, Anida Daf Samachet says that the people of Alexandria asked... Um, Rabbi Yeshu, is it? Yeah, 12, right, 12... Um, the people of Alexandria asked Rabbi Yeshu, but 12 things, three of them wisdom, three of them Haggadah, three of them... T- Boros and three of them Derecheres, they're all really weird. The three of Derecheres they ask about are, number one is, Maya Sadam Yachem, that's the last one on page three. And he says, You should learn a lot and not do so much business. They said, Well, you know, lots of people have done that, not all of them are wise. And so he said, Well, really, you have to ask God for wisdom, but it helps if you do both. Right. Right, so they ask him, "What do you do to be rich?" And he says, "Well, then you know you should do a lot of business, work for a living, and be honest." And they, right, they say, "Well, lots of people have tried that; it doesn't work." Yeah. Then they ask, "What should what should men do so they can have male children?" Oh. <laughs> and he says, "Yisa isha halgenet lo." Right, he should marry an appropriate woman. And he should sanctify himself at the moment of intimate relations, which Rashi says, what should he do? He should be mishamesh bitzni'ut. He should, right, he should, right, he should engage in sni'ut at the moment of supreme intimacy. He should still engage in sni'ut, to which they say, of course, lots of people have done that. Okay. <laughs> and, and it didn't work. Is that like thinking about baseball? <laughs> didn't work. Didn't work. Or England. Um... Good timing. Didn't, uh, didn't work. Now this line also shows up somewhere else. It shows up in the dialogue between Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and Rabbi Shmael about whether one is supposed to engage in uh, right, worldly pursuits at all or not, in which Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says we should already, if we tell people they're allowed to do ordinary things, no one's ever going to learn Torah. There's always something else to do. And Rabbi Shmael says, Yafetorim Derecheretz. And Rabbi says, Lots of people tried Rav Shem Bar Yochai's approach, and until the 20, late 20th century, it really didn't work. Now it's a person that works fine. But, yeah, <laughs> but until the late 20th century, Can it I didn't work. Yes? So it says, not only refers to sons, daughters, and I'm considered Sahar Priyabete. The question was, Maya Sadam Vi Yulabanim Okay, if you want. Right, right. is playing with the people of Alexandria. Okay. Right, right. The whole, right. The whole thing. Right. They're asking questions. Right, and, and his his answers are always satiric. Right, because they always right point out that it's not. Right, they always end up getting to where he wants. Lots of fun dialogue with him about uh, about this because dialogue with Tzabe de Veatuna is really right. Really, okay, so we learned from this. It seems is that there 
is such a thing as excessive tznius. Right, that people, right, there's such a thing as right, people going too, going too far. And this is something that both men and women can do in the belief that they will get some kind of spectacular reward. But the end is, you know what? Lots of, right? It's not, right? It's not replicable. Lots of people can do this and it's not going to, it's not, right? It's not going to help. So there is tzniut as a value, but there's also excessive tzniut, which is almost a parody of, uh, a parody of, of tzniut, where you think that, that, you, that as you get more tzniut, better things have to happen. Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, one of my students wanted to argue that there's actually you know, a, a sort of deep parody in the way in which the right, you know, the Kohen Gadol has to go out and, and her and her and her right, and her sons in, inevitably end up in these unfortunate tummy situations, uh, despite her attempts, despite her attempts to keep herself all the way inside. So I, wa- I want to raise that possibly now. We can go back and say um, there is an ongoing machloka in Chazal which you can see in, in, um, in Shemot Rabbah, if you turn back to page 3. Um, so the top of page 3, Vayaster Moshe Panav, Moshe, Moshe hid his face, Amar, Elokei Avi Omeid Kan Veni Master Panai, the God of my father, top of page 3. Top of page 3. Okay, Vayaster Moshe Panav, Moshe hid his face, Amar, Elokei Avi Omeid Kan Veni Master Panai, the God of my father is standing here, and I, and I am not hiding my face. Can't be. But now we have a machlokus in Rabbi Shua ben Korcha and Rabbi Hoshaya. Echad mehen Omer, one of them says, Lo yafeh asa Moshe kestir panav. Moshe did the wrong thing when he hid his face. She'ilulay lo hestir panav, because had he not hidden his face, Gilalo HaKadosh Baruch Hu Moshe, Malamala, Malamata, Mashiach, Mashiach, God would have shown him everything. There would have been no secrets to Moshe. These are the things which halachic you're not allowed to ask. Uh, the Gemara Chagiga says you're not allowed to ask what happened before, what happened after, right? Those things are the things that Moshe asked. And he would have, right? Um, but sorry, but, but at the point he doesn't ask, God offers them to, him to, them to him before he asks. And he looks away. Yeah. And that was a terrible mistake. Now the terrible, V'sof B'kesh Lirot, Shemar, right? Shemar Hareni Na'at Kvodecha. In the end he wants to, he wants to look and he says, Hareni Na'at Kvodecha. When I wanted to show it to you, you hid your face. When I wanted to show it to you, you, wouldn't want, you didn't want to look. Well, tough now. How is he supposed to know? Yeah, how is he supposed to know? And what kind of thing is that when God says, you know, like if God wants to show it to him, what, why, what is there this tit for tat? That doesn't make any sense. So you have two responses to it. Rabbi Shua, the Sechlin and Sarah Rabbi says, Afal Pikain Herolo. No, right? Moshe did the wrong thing, but God, in the end, God, God showed him anyway. Right? Moshe, didn't, right? Moshe did the wrong thing. He should have, he would have known it even back then. But now it's fine. Um, right? Because it says in the end, right? Um, well, the proof texts don't really work for Rabbi Shua the Sechlin, so we're going to leave that out for the moment. Rabbi Shua, Rab, the, there's, there's the textual area. I didn't want to amend it and present it to you as a real text. Rabbi Shua Rabbah says, Moshe did the right thing by hiding his face. Right? That in fact he did the right thing, and the reason, right? Later Moshe says, 
And if Moshe had not, if Moshe had not shown God kavod in the first place, then he would never have gotten to see the kavod. Okay, so you have three, right, three different perspectives. One perspective is that Moshe did the wrong thing. It was a misapplication of Tzniyot, because God did not want to be Tzniyot. God wanted Moshe to look at him, and Moshe refuses, and because of that, God never builds that relationship with Moshe. He lost his opportunity. Second possibility is was the wrong thing, but they make up. There's a way around it. And the third possibility is, no, it was that moment of Tzniyot which enabled Moshe eventually to see everything. Okay, those are, those are the models we have of, um, of relationship. Okay, so here I want to, I'll try and put together a, I guess a philosophic claim. You can decide if you, you can decide if you buy it at all, and then we'll just have a, a cool ending for the sake of a cool ending. Uh, so the philosophic thing is, is as follows. What is it that makes one person look away from another in a gesture of snoot. So one possibility is that there's something about the relationship per se which is problematic. What we call sexual shame. I don't want to look at you. Right? I don't want to look at you because it does something to me. Right? It makes me think things I don't want to think. It makes me. Um, it makes right, it, it, um, it. It turns me into a base human being. It makes me a dam and chava. Right, looking only at the beauty of the tree and being distracted from Torah. The second possibility is that it does something to you. Right, it makes you an object. And there are a number of contexts in which people look away. Sometimes you look away because you think the other person is embarrassing themselves, and sometimes you think away because the other person is of higher social status. And you're not supposed to look, you're not supposed to look at them. You're a servant. Uh, your ser- right, ser- servants aren't supposed to look masters in the eye. Okay, so now the question is, in the relationship between God and Moshe, which of these is going on? Why does, Moshe, why does Moshe look away? Why does God want him to look? Right, what are the ongoing dynamics of the relationship? In general, as we say as he said, if you interpret what is going on as a power relationship. When the other person thinks what is going on is an attempt at intimacy, bad things happen. But if, if, you, right, if you interpret what is going on as an issue of power, but the other party, what the other party is trying is not power but intimacy, right, then, relationship, then, then relationships go off the rails. Sometimes it's necessary to demonstrate that you have no interest in power. And that's the only way you can get the relationship of true intimacy. Sometimes the introduction of the power dynamic into the relationship means that it's never recoverable. Mm-hmm. Because right, you, once I know that you look at me that way, right, it's never possible that sometimes you start off one way you can get to the other. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is part of the Right, part of the challenge of what is supposed to happen in Sneut. That on the one hand, right, on the one hand, there are times in which, let's say, if we put it in the you know in the Borlachi context, excessive Sneut in the bedroom right, tends to turn right to have to turn somebody into an object. And to see the right and to see the right to make it impossible for the relationship to be real. So there are times when you're supposed to look away, and there are times you're not allowed to look away. 
Because Maybe there are boundaries nonetheless, right? That was decide whether God's kavod ever gets seen, whether God's kavod ever gets seen or not. That's really so I want to suggest, but I want to suggest that all of these, that all these conversations can be read as fundamentally a question about what is the way of implementing tzniyut that maximizes kavod. And sometimes tzniyut maximizes kavod by taking it to the max, and sometimes. Sometimes taking Sniyut to the max is a diminution of kavod. It's a reduction of the other person. And the ways in which you read these interrelations, right, and, that, and the clearest way of doing that is visually. Because visual revelation is, on the one hand, the easiest way of turning somebody into nothing but a sexual object. On the other hand, is a way of really, right, of really knowing someone utterly. So, right, so I want to I want to claim without offering any without taking a bias in favor of any of these particular readings, I want to suggest that by putting all these together, you can see that in fact these concepts are all interrelated, that the relationship to God and the human relationship is interrelated, that Siyut and Kavod are interrelated, and that Chazal saw them as interrelated because Chazal apply the categories of Sniyah and Kavod, both to the relationship of humans between human beings and God, and to the relationships between um, and women. So, last, just fun thing to point out at the very end, so that this question of whether um, whether motion is the right thing or looking away or not the right thing, looking away, and what the kavod is. So, my fa- one of my, my favorite lines of Gemara uh, is that the Gemara says, "All right, but what did, according to the position that God did show Moshe his face, what did his kavod answer?" And the answer is, he told Moshe why good things happen to bad people, why bad things happen to good people. <laughs> right? Which is fine. And what did he tell him? So we know what he told him, and he tells the Gemara tells him, and the Gemara says, no, but that can't be right. right? We know that what God told him is wrong. So we give that up, and we decide we can figure out on our own exactly what it is that God must have told Moshe, which I always find hysterical, because we claim this is the question which is God's kavod, that we're never supposed to find out, but it turns out we can figure out on our own. Uh, exact, um, exact, exactly what it is, and I want to, And it may be that that question of whether God's kavod is only revealable if God tells it to us, or if it's something right, if it's a relationship that we can achieve is tied up into that in that same in that same issue as well as whether it's possible to achieve knowledge of God's kavod only through revelation, or whether there is something about human reason that is capable of getting there as well. Thank you very much. Everything. Everything.